So good evening, everyone. You know, if we're uh, open and receptive, uh, life is teaching us everywhere we turn and everywhere we look, there's always an opportunity. The body is always teaching us. Take right now, for example. I was noticing, uh, have some notes here, 18 point font. About these glasses, just a blur. <laughs> you know, uh, not that many years ago, never wore glasses in my life, never reading glasses. Body, it just changed. Didn't ask me my opinion about it either, right? It just went on ahead according to its causes and conditions. Now we can, we can gloss over these moments or it's actually teaching me something. It's, it's, and it's nothing going wrong, it's just telling me, this is what happens to bodies. If I'm clinging to not having glasses, what's gonna happen? It's a setup for suffering, right? Yeah, so even right there is a little teaching. And I get to investigate, you know, I mean, that's a kind of a small little example. Well, it may not be for some people. You know, how, how am I with that, right? And so we get to find out uh, uh, and learn if we're open and receptive. And tonight what I'd like to talk about is um, continue this exploration of, you know, we're, we're doing these mindfulness of the body practices, 32 parts of the body, other embodied uh, mindful awareness practices, and why? What, what's the benefit? Where, where, what, what good does it do us to put your attention on your heart or your spleen or your breathing? You know? Where is it aiming us? I'd like to explore that a little uh, together. Um, some years ago on a retreat, I had um, the person sitting right next to me was a very, very loud breather. And um, I was really, really struggling with it. And, um, and, you know, this wasn't like a six-day retreat where I could, you know, tough it out to the end. This was a six-week retreat. That's a long time to be uh, sitting with an annoying neighbor. And I nicknamed him the breather. <laughs> and so when he would come in, you know, and sometimes, you know, in these longer retreats, sometimes people practice in the hall, sometimes in their room, and it was always so nice. I actually really appreciated when he wasn't there. And then when he'd come in, it's like, oh, it's the breather. <laughs> and I was trying to work with it, but I had a lot of aversion uh, coming up. And so I was creating this whole story. You know, doesn't he know that he's disturbing everyone around him? Well, he obviously just must not care about, you know, just whatever, right? All this negativity. Then one day, this format is exactly what we have here. The first uh, sit after breakfast, you know, at the end, there's a little Q&A session. So one day, about halfway in the retreat, he raises his hand. And he, he said he was really suffering because he had some kind of uh, congenital issue in his nose. And when he breathed in, he was sharing that it made, he was, it was noisy. And he was so stressful and worried that he was... Um, disturbing the neighbors around him. Well, I heard that, you know, it just, my, <laughs> you know, my whole heart just shifted and melted. And I went through a lot about just my own judgmentalness, a lot of compassion for his suffering, and it just changed everything, right? 
I had created a whole world, a whole story, a whole world. Didn't even realize that, n- notice that it was just a creation. It was just a story about how he must be and whatever. Then proceeded to live in that world as if it were real, my self-created world. Yeah. And I think it was a great learning. Um, you know, it reminds me of another time when I was uh, younger at a gym and it had a jacuzzi. You know, these, 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 these stories we make up go on and on. I haven't thought about this for many years. Uh, it was a big jacuzzi and at the gym people would go and sit in the hot tub there after whatever, lifting your weights or whatever you're doing. And there was one guy, he was next to me and he kept, his body kept going into my body in there. It's just like, man, I, don't, don't be touching me in the... <laughs> in the hot tub and like <laughs> and and not only that but it was the same kind of story I remember I must have this pattern it's like you must know you're going into me and um, later on as he gets out he's lifting himself he had no legs <laughs> so you know, and he's lifting himself out and, you know, I had a whole story about what this, what's this jerk doing. And he, he didn't have legs to stabilize him. He was kind of bobbing around in the, you know, in the top. A perfect example again. I just created this whole, I had them all figured out, like some guy, you know, whatever, in the tub. So this is an important place. And some, it's hard to notice these things, but this is, I want to uh, come back to this idea of, of how we can live out of stories, because I think it's one of the ways that we can create a lot of suffering around our bodies and where these investigations in the body can shine a light on that and really uh, you maybe kind of help evaporate some of these uh, attitudes and uh, places where we, where we create suffering and may not even see what we're doing. So I'll come back to that in just a, uh, in a few minutes. Um, according to the traditional account, the third discourse the Buddha gave after his enlightenment It's called the Fire Sermon. Uh, The actual name means um, a way of speaking of things as if being on fire. So it's a metaphor. And in that, the Buddha says that we are on fire, burning with the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. And... Um, what's meant by those terms, they're euphemisms. So the greed, it's what uh, Bob was speaking about in the first night on the hindrances. You know, the greed is, it just means it's that wanting mind. Wanting to have, wanting to get, have to have. And we know what it's like if, it can feel like burning if we're really gotta have this thing, right? Or the, the hatred is the euphemism for the aversion got to either get it away from me or get, or get me away from it, right? And then delusion, is, is, takes, that's a big topic. It takes many forms, but it's, uh, we could just say it's, it's an ignorance. It's not seeing clearly, and I think that's a fine way to think about it. And so we could, um, one way to think about um, the Dharma is it's pointing towards living in a way in which we've, uh, without the fires, what would it be like to put out the fire? Right? To live in a way um, 
where with quiet minds, open hearts, at peace, in the midst of life, just as it is. Meet it on its own terms, right? And um, what would it be like to stop? One of the ways that we can create this is, is also the making of stories. If we stop making up the stories and just live more in the reality of things, right? So that's an interesting question to, uh, to, to ponder. We, um, we sometimes talk about, if we're going to free ourselves, that coming to a place, some of the words you'll hear will be uh, dispassion, disenchantment, or a couple of translations you'll hear. Those are perfectly fine words, but we have to be clear because some of the connotations sometimes, for example, to be disenchanted, sometimes it can have a feeling of kind of let down, yeah, but that's not really, you know, what does it mean if you're no longer enchanted? You know, you look in the, the old fairy tales and, you know, they cast whatever, cast a sorcerer, casts a spell on someone and they're, they're enchanted. They're actually uh, not in touch with reality. And then, you know, the fairy tale has a happy ending, the spell is broken, they're no longer enchanted, they're back to reality. So to be disenchanted is not to be let down or disappointed, it just means just to really be back in touch with, with reality, without the overlay that we put onto things. Yeah. Um, dispassion. You know, it can, we, it can, we want to make sure we don't fall into the connotation of, um, well, what if, it, if I'm dispassionate, am I like numb? You know, just, just not alive to things? No, it just means not caught in the passions which, uh, you know, if you've ever, I don't know, fallen in love with someone, you know, in those early, uh, it's been so long, I don't really remember. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I seem to recall that in the, uh, the, you know, all the things that, we think are so adorable in the first few months, and then when that when the passions settle out, those things, same things, can annoy us later, right? So it's like passions can color our perception. So I think those are perfectly fine words, um, but we want to make sure they don't have the connotation of becoming disconnected. There's this word detachment also, and which I think also, if we, if we understand the meaning, it's fine, but can, it can have the, the sense for us of being disconnected. Yeah? And what are we doing here? We're doing the opposite of disconnecting. We are, you know, where most people are closing their eyes, although you don't have to. We're, we're doing practices to settle our minds so we're less distracted and we actually can be present and be here and then consciously turning that attention into our own minds and bodies. So it's the opposite of being disconnected. It's deeply, profoundly immersing ourselves and connecting. Right? So um, I think a better term than disconnected might be, well, not clinging is a good one. Um, you know, if you, if you have a loved one in your life and you tell them you're disconnected from them, um, probably not going to appreciate that, Right? But if you say, I'm not clinging to you, they might really appreciate it. You see the different feeling? 
And I'll offer one which I actually like, and it's the term I want to use tonight, is disentangled. Right? Disentangled. And we're going to explore what does that mean to be disentangled? Because when we're entangled, it means we're caught up in things. We can be fully present, fully alive, fully awake to anything, to ourselves, to the experience with others, the world around us, in a way that's not entangled. So what does that mean? Right? And especially in relationship to these body practices. Right? And it's interesting because when we're burning, when we're on fire with greed, hatred, and delusion, it, it, promote, it, it, it entangles us. And conversely, when we're entangled, it, it's putting fuel onto the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. So it's kind of this self-reinforcing cycle we can get into. So maybe we hear these teachings about living in a way, quiet minds, open hearts, you know, these things that sound like cliches, but they're cliches because we say them so much, but these are deep, profound truths about inner peace, not having our well-being or our happiness at the mercy of just the way the winds of life happen to blow, right? Because you know, for so many, probably most of us, maybe all of us to some degree, you know, what is it that we're all doing? You know, there's not a single person in this, one of you that I know well. I feel pretty confident that I, I could say, and you can check in for yourself if this, if this is true, we're trying to get more of those things, situations, experiences that we think we want that are going to make us happy and have less of those things and situations unpleasant that are going to make us unhappy. I mean, it's kind of nonsensical to say that, right? Anyone here trying to have less of what you want to happen to you and more of what you don't want to happen? No. And that's just part of being a human being, and that's okay. Except, sometimes you get what you want, and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you get what you don't want. What are we, you know, you, you basically you get what you get, right? What are we going to do with you get what you get? That's the question. What are you going to do with you get what you get? So part of what the invitation here is, is to make a shift so that our well-being is not at the mercy of circumstances and we can start to take more ownership or responsibility for our well-being. And we do that by not only looking for what's the experience, but... uh, looking for our well-being and how are we relating with whatever's happening. If we can shift to how we relate to it, then it's not all caught up in the nature of the experience itself. That's the liberation through non-clinging. And so we can also do that with our relationship with our bodies. And the reason that we then talk so much about insights is that... um, uh, we hear these teachings and that maybe you hear what I'm saying or other uh, ways it's presented and you might think, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Okay, I want to do this. I'm signing up. You know, and then you can do it for a little while until the right cause and condition comes around. We're hooked right back in again. We need some help. This is the place for insights. So, um, and what I mean by insight is it's understandings or perceptions, ways of seeing things that make a shift in us 
from our old habitual patterns. Right? So let me just read something. This is a quote from Goenka. Real wisdom is recognizing and accepting that every experience is impermanent. With this insight, you will not be overwhelmed by ups and downs. And when you are able to maintain an inner balance, you can choose to act in ways that will create happiness for you and for others. Living each moment happily with an equanimous mind, you will surely progress to the ultimate goal of liberation from all suffering. So let me just read the first part of that again. Real wisdom is recognizing and accepting that every experience is impermanent. It's not just recognizing. You can recognize everything's impermanent. If you don't accept it, it may not lead to more freedom. It may scare the heck out of us. Recognizing and accepting how life is, that everything's impermanent. With this insight, you will not be overwhelmed by ups and downs. And when you're able to maintain an inner balance, you can choose to act in ways that will create happiness for you and others. So to work it backwards, we want to be able to choose how to act that will create more well-being or happiness for ourselves and others. And we can do that if we have an inner balance. And we can have an inner balance when we're not overwhelmed by life's ups and downs. And we can do that. What supports us is to have the insight to really get it how life is. Yeah. So that's a really great example of... I just love it because it's such a clear example how an insight serves us. That's this point of having insights. Okay. So now, okay, all this work we're doing in the body. Let's take a look at some of the ways that this practice in the body can lead to insights and can help us, liberate us from our own suffering and lead to more well-being. That's what I want to spend the rest of the time looking at now. Yeah in service of all of what I've been talking about, about insights and liberation through non-clinging. And what I'd like to do is I want to name, I don't think it would be possible, even if I had unlimited time, I don't think I could even think of all the ways that we might create suffering in relationship to our bodies. I, you know. So what I've done is I've chosen some of the main things that I think, and there may be a lot of others that I've left out. So I just want to acknowledge that. But I want to hit a few main ways. And then we can look to see, okay, if this is a way that you have to see for yourself as I name these. And then you can see, okay, if this is that true for me? Oh yeah, I do that or I don't. And if I do, uh, I want to point to some of the ways that this practice can help uh, and might be useful. And you may have already been discovering this anyway. Uh, hopefully you've been having some insights anyway without me having to tell you or point them out. Okay. Uh, so one is, uh, just by connecting with our bodies, it is a doorway to illuminate patterns of our minds and our hearts. And by the way, it works the other way too. We could, this could have been a whole retreat just on being, bringing mindfulness to the states of your mind. And by doing that, if we really um, uh, went into that, it would bring up, it would connect you with things going on in your body. And so all these are doorways. But when we connect with our bodies, sometimes it can bring up things that are going on with our mind. For example, I'll just make up some examples. Let's just say that you are trying to sit in a very simple way and just connect with the feeling of your body in some way. Maybe with your breathing. Maybe a general sense of having your awareness in your body or even with some of the 32 parts in whatever way you're doing it. 
And it can happen sometimes to people, they realize, wow, I'm having trouble connecting, I can't do it. I keep popping out or, or somehow it doesn't, I don't wanna, it's hard for me just to, in a simple way to feel my body and m- maybe you didn't even ever notice it before, say. That's telling you something. You're noticing something going on more in your mind just by just trying to feel your body. And you might, and then maybe it's, it's uh, huh, what's this about? And you bring your mindfulness, you feel more deeply into it and it's, uh, you realize, wow, I don't feel safe in my body. Never noticed that. What's that? This, I'm just naming some things out of actually people. This is, if, if, if I happen to be just by coincidence naming something that, that's real for you, it's because uh, the things I'm naming here, are, they're, they're not uncommon. And, and, we, and we share a lot of these. So maybe this happens to be something going on with you. And so it's nothing wrong. It's just noticing the pattern that's there. Right? We don't want to judge ourselves or beat ourselves up, but just go, oh, wow, what's here? Let me get interested. Huh, it's not safe to be in the body. Who knows? It could bring up whatever, old memories. Maybe you realize some trauma or abuse that, or I don't know, it could be just many, many different things. I want to be careful and not you know, trigger anyone off here, but I'm saying that's an example. Or you start to connect with your body and maybe you get in touch with a part of your body that uh, you hate. And all of a sudden, it just brings up that feeling. And you just, and so you realize, oh, I've got a lot, I'm going to come back to some of this body image stuff in a bit. Or get open up into that. Yeah. Or I knew someone once who uh, um, was having a lot of struggle trying to, they wanted to undertake a mindfulness of breathing meditation practice. And I was trying to help them, and they were having a lot of struggle. And we explored. And then he remembered a time as a child uh, that he just had forgotten when he had had a near drowning incident in a pool in his home in his backyard when he was a little kid. And just by bringing his attention into the breathing, it, it brought, you know, he would contract. And so going back to the memory, there was still old trauma that he needed to work through. There's just lots and lots of different things that could happen, it may not, but I don't want to spend much more time on that except just to say that's one of the things that can happen uh, when we just do the simple practice of just connecting with our body in any way stuff can come up. And when it does, as we've been saying, we have to use our best intuition or discernment to decide for ourselves, is this something worth investigating or exploring or not? And what that might be. And so, you know, then depending on what it is, you might uh, follow that. So that's one example. We've been talking a lot about body image and body identification. I'm too tall, I'm too short, too thin, too fat, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too bald, too gray, my feet are too big, knees are too knobby, skin's too blotchy. Back's too hairy. I can just go on and on, right? Um, I may not have named yours. You might not have, whatever. But you check in for yourself. How's your relationship with your body? Yeah, everything okay? No problem? Good, I hope that's true. For many of us, we can fall into adversarial relationships with ourselves. 
with our bodies, with our own beings. It's not just our bodies. It can be parts of just who we are that we've got judging. And when I say judging, I've been using that word. I want to be clear. I don't mean wise discernment. That's a kind of judgment. When I use the word judgment, I'm talking about a negative, uh, right? Are you too short or too tall? What? You know, this is, I think this is getting into that, uh, creating stories. If someone, first of all, if someone else tells you that, automatically, by definition, do not listen to that person. They're not your friend, right? Hopefully nobody's going to come up and say that. So, but I'm just trying to, like, where do we get these stories? If somebody else is telling you, don't listen to it. If the TV commercials are telling you that your skin's too whatever, listen, they're trying to make money getting you to buy the cream. And by the way, those creams don't work. <laughs> and you know how I know? Look at this. You see that right there on my hand? You see that blotch? Can you see that, Bob? Can you see that over there? Those aren't close. So about, uh, can you see that, Sally? Yeah, you see that? That didn't used to be there. So about 15 years ago, it just kind of appeared, and I'm just going, well, what the heck is that? <laughs> and I didn't know, and that's, you know, I put some creams on it, and it didn't go away. And so I didn't know, could it be a little skin cancer, or I didn't know. So I went to a dermatologist, and he looked at it, and he said, you know, um, it's, uh, and he gave me the medical name, he goes, I had an age spot. Like, that's supposed to make me feel better. <laughs> and I said, age spot? <laughs> Age spot? I don't want to hear that. What do you mean age spot? I don't do age spots. And then another one popped out there. and I didn't actually notice these two over here. And they're starting to come. I'm, they're a lot. They're coming. Right? And the body didn't ask me what I thought about it. It just went right on ahead doing its own thing. And I can suffer around it. I mean, I don't really suffer that much around it. A little bit, I was kind of like, in each spot. <laughs> but, you know, and I've been, you know, I've been a, a, a Dharma practitioner for, let me see, 44 years. And I've been meditating a lot. I've been teaching for yeah, a while. This was, this was 15 years ago, but I was already even teaching and everything. I know all this stuff when it happens to you. And you come in the interview and I say, well, you know, we want to let go of our clinging. On my arm? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. And so then I thought, if I fell into, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion. I fell into delusion, but fortunately not for long. I thought, um, don't they have some of those lasers that can kind of zap these things off? And then I stop, I said, well, wait a minute. Not sapping that off. That's my teacher. And it's in a great spot right there. I see it every day. That's my teacher. And it's telling me something. It's saying, you know, Richard, this is what happens to bodies. Yeah. I can put my overlay on it. It's to this. I don't like this. I like that. This shouldn't be here and everything like that. Yeah. It's just what happens to bodies. Yeah. You know, and we, 
you know, we all, we're looking at these parts of the body, we all have, uh, you know, under, there's a layer of fat under the skin for everyone, and for some it's thinner than others. And it's so interesting when I reflect on, you know, a few fat cells are slightly this way as opposed to that, and oh, that's beautiful. A few fat cells are slightly this other way as opposed to that, nah, I don't like that. A little piece of bone happens to curve this way as opposed to that, and oh man, that looks good. Slightly curves this way and not that, and we're suffering, you know. You go inside, just the slightest fraction of an inch, it's one big goopy mess, yeah? But you cover it all up in skin, and I'm looking good, right? Or not, yeah? yeah. You, you, you know, you take what, what we taught, what's really real, and we put this, you know, this bag of bones, and I put some skin around it, and um, depending on how you feel, it's like, it's okay. You know, nobody's walking around going, thinking, um, Bob, you check out this liver. <laughs> Looking good. But something about the skin, of course, it's understandable, but it's no different. It's just this body, and we know where it's heading and what happens, right? And so I think to, rather than automatically fall into the stories that we can buy into and believe, that maybe somebody told us, maybe the media is in advertising is telling us. And I think oftentimes we don't need that. We, uh, so often we tell ourselves the story. Yeah, and so you can look and see for yourself how much is that true or not? How much suffering does it create for you or not? And then the question is, can we start to, again, uh, find that place of inner well-being or inner peace with just the way things are? And the way things are is, you know, whatever. You're going to have your own, whatever your version of the age spot is. I remember when, um, I don't know if some of you who've been in interviews may have noticed, but in case you haven't, on the middle finger on my left hand, I'm missing the end digit there. Sawed it off on a table saw when I was in my 30s. It hurt too, you know. When it happened, that's not that much to lose. You know, people lose a lot more than that, right? But at the time, for a while, it's like, oh my God, I'm grotesque. I'm, I'm, I mean, really, I was just like, I mean, I, I'm one of these people walking around with a chopped off finger. Who would have thought that would, I'd be one of those. And, you know, it's just like, I couldn't believe it. I've got a chopped off finger. And then just like, I can't believe it. I've got a chopped off finger. And, you know, I suffered a lot about it around just that. Now, I never even notice it. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. It is chopped off, huh? Nothing, yeah, right? Same chopped off finger. And of course, there was some trauma around it when it first happened. It's understandable. I'm not beating myself up about it. But I'm just saying just a little something. And um, it can really, um, things a lot littler than that. And we can really fall into a lot of suffering. Or we can, you know, fortunately this was, uh, I know there's people here probably dealing with things a lot bigger. And maybe it is more challenging. So I want to be respectful about that, yeah. So, but the important thing is we start to notice these things. Yeah? Okay. 
I've already pointed to the next piece I want to talk about. We've kind of slid over into this. And that is the very big topic, and it's what Goenka was pointing to around impermanence. When I was young, I used to be a very active rock climber for a lot of years. I was a pretty good climber in my day. I still do actually do some climbing. Um, but I remember once I was, I don't know, young guy, and we were out in Yosemite climbing, and somebody I was with said, we looked around, and there's some other climbers, and he said, you know, you notice you really don't see very many old people up here climbing? It's all young people. And I said, I remember this so clearly, I said to him, that's not going to be me. I'm going to keep it up. I'm not going to lose it. You know, when you're 28 years old, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful because there's younger people. Maybe you have more wisdom than I did. I'm just talking about, so I won't say how it is for you. I'll just say for me. I had no idea what's going to happen, what was going to happen. When you hit 40, I'm getting ready to turn 62 this next month. Forget that you hit 40. You've really noticed already how much you've slowed down when you hit 50. You know, um, and I'm, for a 62-year-old, I think I'm in the upper percentiles of like, I, just for health, I, I work out in the gym. I'm just lifelong. You know, I lift weights a couple of times. I don't have any goals around it to be a bodybuilder, but, you know, just for health, and, and I always have, and I do a lot of cardio, and I'm still a pretty strong rock climber. I, I think for, for an old guy, I'm doing uh, pretty well, and I have to tell you, though, uh, if I start comparing back, it's just like the body, it just slows down. Even if you eat organic vegetables, <laughs> it's going to slow down. When I... Um, in, in California, uh, for those of you out of state, the way they do the driver's license is you go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles, they take a photo and take your driver's test, whatever, and then a few weeks later, your driver's license come, comes in the mail. And then it renews every five years. And what they did for me was um, two, two cycles. I just sent in a check and still have my same driver's license. You know, sent in a check, five years, sent in the check, got the next dri renewed driver's license, same picture. Sent in the check, got a new one. Finally, the third cycle had been 15 years, had to go down and get a new picture. So, okay, I go down and get the picture. Comes back in the mail, and, you know, for 15 years, I'm pulling out my driver's license and go, yep, that's me. <laughs> Pull it out, get the new one. <laughs> Pull out the old one. And I look in the mirror, and it's like, who's that old guy looking back? What happened to my youth? Well, we know what happens, right? The body just went along on its own way. Nothing went wrong. It's just what happens to bodies. We know that intellectually, but as Goenka says, we have to come to really get it in our bones, in our DNA, yeah? About what happens to bodies. And then the question again is, can I find the, the peace of mind? In, you know, can I not be in a, in a war with my body? I mean, it, you can't win that war anyway, right? I remember once on a retreat and somebody, so I was sitting in the retreat and somebody the, raised their hand and they said they were having so much trouble every time they look in the mirror and seeing all their wrinkles and everything. And the, the teacher just said, well, um, 
Do you wear glasses? If you wear glasses, I suggest when you look in the mirror, take them off. They, or if you don't wear glasses, borrow some and put them on. Then you won't see them. That was about the best tip they could give, you know. Have you ever seen a very, very old person, maybe like 95 years old, ever seen one? You know, I mean, they, I'm not saying they're, but, you know, with clear, smooth, beautiful skin, really good toned muscles, and never, never once. Even if they get a facelift, right? It, and I'm not criticizing anybody for doing it at all, or, but I'm just saying, you know, just saying it looks like a 95-year-old woman who had a facelift, right? This is what happens in our bodies, yeah? So when you hear this, you know, you have to reflect for yourself. It's worth doing this as we connect with our bodies, as we get to know. My recommendation is to, um, and this is one of the things I love, and I may have gotten this expression from Bob. He and I have I've known him for a long time, and we've taught a certain number of retreats together, and I get a lot of wisdom from him, as you all do. And I think it, it was this idea of when you're driving I, I, I didn't grow up in New England. I'm a southern boy. Maybe you can hear that in my accent. Um, but when you're driving in the ice or snow, the, they said if you go into a skid, the, uh, the, um, the suggestion is you, know, you want to like habitually turn your wheel away. And what you're supposed to do is actually turn into the skid to regain control and then you can steer away or whatever. So there's something about turning into the skid. And it's, that's the image of hopefully our life's not a skid, but I think the idea of it is, um, you know, I really wish I had thought of the book title, John Kabat-Zinn's, this is such a good book title, Full Catastrophe Living. That's a good book title. That, just the title, you don't even need to read the book. <laughs> I mean, you don't. I mean, it's probably a good book, but <laughs> we know what that's talking about. So we'll let the body, because it's here, it's accessible, it's there, and it's teaching us every moment. Yeah. Some days, it's gotten more and more. So, you know, I'm mostly doing fine in my body, and I'm thankful. I don't take that for granted. I'm going to talk in a minute about illness, uh, and I know I want to be very respectful that there are people here in this room right now who've really got some major long-term chronic challenges in there, and I want to not be glib or, or, or you know, and be very uh, sensitive and respectful about that, right? So uh, I'm not comparing to anything. I'm just saying that I wake up some days and something hurts for no obvious reason. What's going on? Body's teaching me. And I try to remember to hold it that way, and I try to reflect on it every day. These teachings are not meant to make us morose or depressed. It's like, it's, it, they're meant to, to liberate us. So how is it if I let the body teach me? It can be liberating. Yeah. Well, look around. Are there any happy old people? There are. There are happy old people. Yeah. It's just like the general population here. Some of us who are not old are happy, some of us are unhappy, right, or whatever. So, um, 
our happiness doesn't have to be dependent on the body. And the problem is, is so often we put so much onto the body, we may not even be conscious of it. And so it's just by shifting that relationship, the burden, we've, we've let, letting the, setting down the burden. It's a big relief. Right? It's a big relief. We may not be good at it right away, and that's why we need to practice. And so what we want to do is just take it on uh, the best we can, right? And when opportunities come, you know, when I look in the mirror now, I have so many opportunities, you know, you know, where I want hair on my head, it's fallen out. Where I don't want it in my ears, it's growing, right? There you go, right there. Ah, body's teaching me. Am I clinging and suffering around? Or can I find a way just to be at peace with my body? So we just looked at, and it may be a question that we haven't found the answer to yet. And so that brings me to another piece I want to just spend a little time on, but I do want to pause here. So I named a few things, um, how connecting with our bodies can sometimes reveal to us uh, places of patterns in our hearts and our minds, mental patterns, and that's an opportunity for growth. We can, uh, a lot can be revealed around body image, right? And our kind of clinging and attachment to our bodies being a certain way and how much we suffer around that. And then there's the impermanence and the old age and all that. So we just want to be awake to these things and let them teach us, yeah? And then also there's uh, some biggies around, uh, I was kind of working through the old age and there's the sickness and death. So I want to spend a little time on that because that's, that's big, right? So on the illness part, um, so I was a little, uh, I noticed my um, hesitancy to, to bring it up here, but I felt like I didn't want to um, run away from it because it is a sensitive topic, especially for those of us uh, who may have been perhaps dealing with, say for example, chronic pain for years. And we may or may not have found the key and when I thought about it, I thought, well, what am I going to say I, I, you know, where, if, to someone like that? What can I say? I have not been through that fire. And we're not going to do what I'm about to suggest, but really what, what would be of service is, is if those people wanted, we'd bring them up here. Let them teach us. Well, what, how did you find the way? What was the process? How did you do it? Or did you not? Or, you know, and that's the learning, right? I used to go into... Um, I used to do a lot of work in prisons in, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I've started uh, several programs in a couple of the California state prisons that are still going today. And uh, I was going into some pretty rough prisons. I used to be a Buddhist chaplain in these prisons. And um, some of the guys in my uh, Buddhist group were doing, had life sentences without the possibility of parole. Um, some of them weren't doing very well around that, but some of them it was a mix. Some of them were just like, it, they, was, they were just in this state of their own, of, of, I don't know, it seemed kind of transcendent or something in a way. It was just an honor to be in their presence. And I talked to a couple of these guys who was just, they had some deep wisdom. And, and one of them, I remember he said to me, he said, you know, he said, you know, Mr. Shankman, you come in here and we appreciate you and everything, but you've got to remember, in two hours, you're going to go walking out the door. He goes, 
And he said, uh, for 10 years, he told me he was just, uh, just burning in anger and hatred. And he couldn't get out. There's no back door for him. And he realized at some point there was only one way, which was through. And so I didn't get into detail what that looked like. And, and somehow he came through. And now he saw himself. Of course, he'd like to get out if he could. No question about it. But he said, okay, I'm here for life. Um, I, have a, I have a role to play here as a, as a stabilizing force among the men and to be a, a voice of wisdom and an elder and everything. And he really could see the, the opportunities that were there, yeah. And I also, I'm remembering a woman who um, I met uh, probably about 10 years ago and she was in a wheelchair and she was very deformed. Her fingers and hands were all gnarled up. And she had some kind of rheumatoid arthritis, I think it was. And I asked her about it and I said, well, how's it going? I said, are you in pain right now? And she looked at me, she goes, yeah, I'm in pain right now. And I said, how long have you been dealing with it? And it was like years and years and years, I don't, I don't remember. I said, you know, do pain meds help? Well, kind of, but you know, she's dealing with pain and uh, for a long time. And I asked her, uh, her about it, how, what, how are you doing? And I just said, you know, I just, you know, I've never had to deal with anything like that. And, you know, I'm just kind of just about to her and what, and, and what she was up against. And she said, well, you know, she has her good days and bad days for sure. But she also said, you know, she found, kind of somehow found a way through and somehow could sometimes make some peace around it. So I know it's possible for some people, but I also know, uh, I'll just tell you one story about myself and how uh, uh, just respectful I want to be about dealing when, when, it re when you're, you know, you're really pressed into it. Uh, I once injured uh, a vertebrae in my neck and for several months I was in... Uh, had this radiating nerve pain. So if you ever had like a sciatic kind of nerve or was that kind of pain, it was both the intensity and the quality of that radiating nerve pain was maddening. And I couldn't get any relief. Pain meds just didn't do anything. Even if I lay down, I just could not get any relief. Now they told me that don't worry, you're gonna be okay. And so I kept saying, okay, they said I'm gonna be okay. But I, I don't know what would have happened if, uh, uh, you know, I found moments of peace here and there, and then I would be back in, you know, sometimes I kind of felt like I was on top of things, and sometimes I felt like it was on top of me, and be, just jumping up and down on top of me, let me tell you. And I remember once uh, saying um, uh, to myself, thinking, okay, I'm lying in this, what if this was how it is, it's not gonna get better? What, if, what would I do? It was painful, and I remember I just thought, hell no. It was just a big no, yeah? And I couldn't find a way then. It was beyond my, in that moment at least. So I think the answer is, we need to be respectful about what we can do and what we can't do, right? Because the answer to me in that moment, if someone had come and said to me, oh, well, Richard, you're just clinging. I don't think that would have been very <laughs> helpful, right? And it would have been disrespectful, yeah? So we have to respect, and so I wanna, uh, in the last few minutes, I wanna offer for all of these practices about dealing, of course, I didn't even really get into death, but just to say, um, you know, we, we know what's, where it's go, where, that's what's gonna happen to the body there too, right? And we all, that's something we all have to deal with. 
Um, I, I'll just say this. I've heard a saying once. Uh, it kind of has a Zen feel to me, but I don't know where I got it. That is, uh, life is like setting sail on a ship that you know is going to sink. Yeah, it kind of gave me a laugh, except then I thought, well, wait a minute. No. <laughs> uh, this ship's going to sink. So that's interesting. This would be a whole conversation, and I hate to kind of leave that off because uh, uh, I've been able to, you know, hopefully these reflections on death are, are meant to uh, be able to f- be freeing and not oppressing, but we have to, you know, so, but how do we do that's a big question. So I hope that didn't trigger anyone off just with that little, <laughs> just a minor little side note on death. <laughs> you know, I guess it's worth, uh, you know, giving a 30 seconds to mention. Um, there's an image that I like to use when we're dealing with anything, but in particular just because it's a body retreat when we're dealing with any situation, our, our body image, chronic challenges in our body, um, any aspect of life. I have this image I like of there's a circle and we're sitting at the center of the circle. And the circle contains all the experiences of our life for which we can be present with without struggle or suffering that we can really be with. And if something expands, it gets so intense it gets bigger than the edge of our circle. It's outside of our circle. It's gotten ahead of where our ability to be present with it is. Right? And we have to recognize, because if something's really truly outside of our circle, then we want to try to bring the intensity back down if, if we have a choice, right? If something genuinely is outside the circle for us. And see, the problem is sometimes it's hard to recognize. Sometimes something really is within the circle. We can be present with this. Like right now I'm sitting here, I've got some ache in my knee, so that's un- unpleasant. It's in my circle, I'm not, no problem. If I sat here for three hours, might, you know, or whatever, it might get on the other side, I don't know. Yeah. So sometimes it's unpleasant, we don't like it, and we're so quick to want to get rid of it, push it away, you know, go zap off that uh, age spot right there without taking time to contemplate. So no, that age spot's not only is it within my circle, it's just like, you know, um, you know, it's, it's like a friend now. And I also get Dharma talks out of it. It really serves me very well, <laughs> right? It's within my circle. But we think we have to get rid of it. Other times things are outside of the thir- circle. We think we're supposed to be present with them. It's not a supposed to. If it's really too much for our ability, we have to honor that and then find our way the best we can. When I was um, quite young, I started my meditation practice when I was in 1970, when I was 18. And I had, I was pretty, you know, young and idealistic. And I remember going to the dentist and um, get a filling. He was going to give me the Novocaine. <laughs> I said to the dentist, I don't know what he was thinking. I said, uh, that's okay, don't numb me up. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to uh, remain present with, the, uh, with all the experiences that arise and pass away. <laughs> I said that to the dentist. <laughs> I don't know what he thought. And then, so I know, so it was a, a noble uh, intention. <laughs> as soon as he started drilling, it was so beyond anything I did. And I don't, know, you know, I can't really remember now. Uh, like, I, you know, I could have just said, uh, you know, Doc, hold on a second. 
better numb me up after all. He would have just done it. He would have probably been relieved. But I didn't do it. So I've actually had a tooth drill. But you know what? I must have, the imprint of my grip <laughs> is probably to this day, you know, on that thing. It was, I was holding on just like, it was, it blew me away. What's the point of that? All I learned is to not be silly, which was a good learning lesson, and to know, you know what? That's an example outside my circle. Get the Novocaine. (laughs) So in life, my philosophy is, whatever the situation is, if we have the option, which we don't always, to shift our circumstances, let's do it, sure. Not out of reactivity, but if it's wise and skillful in service of caring for ourselves. Let's do that. Um, If um, we can't change it, and if it's really too much for us, we're going to suffer. And we need a lot of compassion because we're all going to have times like this. And sometimes the best we can do is hold on the best we can. So I just want to be really respectful. When we reflect in this way, we may have our own pain and suffering, and it could bring up a lot. But also, um, to open to the suffering of others. You know, we're all doing the best we can, right? And so as we engage in this, really sometimes it can feel like it takes a lot of courage, really, to just to sit down quietly without distraction and be present with ourselves, really to connect with the body, with the one we've got. It sounds so simple. You know, we don't ask people to do anything. You just come here, get in any posture you want. You can either, either, even lie down. Try to make yourself as comfortable as your body will allow, which, you know, sometimes our bodies aren't, you know, don't always allow. You do the best you can, right? Take care of yourself and, and just be present with yourself connect with your body, and we see how hard that can be sometimes. And so we really have to not only have a lot of compassion, but also um, uh, just to know uh, that, you know, we do the best we can. And if we, and, and um, you know, um, so I've sort of, let me just say this. I've, this is a good news, bad news thing. I'll give you the bad news first. You're doing the best you can. Yeah, it looks like this. <laughs> now the good news. You're doing the best you can. Yeah, it looks like this. You feel the difference? When we connect with our um, intention, and you would not be here if you didn't have a sincere, wholesome, I I like to say beautiful intention, right? Anytime you fall into judging, beating yourself up, I'm not doing it okay, I'm falling back into the same trap, he says, stop, uh, you know, falling into body hatred or whatever, and there I am again or whatever. Uh, Connect back with your intention. Even when we fall flat on our face and lose ourselves or whatever, 
uh, your good, wholesome intention is still there. And, and stay in touch with that. Let that be the support, especially when it's challenging and it's difficult. And even if we judge ourselves that we're you know, not doing very well, which is, by the way, I should say, you're the least qualified to make that judgment. Because you're, 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 you're not uh, objective. You're too in it. But if we judge ourselves, go back and just check in with your wholesome intention. And then we come forward, you do the best you can to really see what the wisdom of the body might be. And bring some the respect for yourself and the care. And then I think that will give really everything you need. And I think for all of us, we'll, we'll, you know, uh, I really feel that, you know, I tend to have this belief, it is a belief, I don't actually know if the universe works this way, that there's kind of, there's no accidents kind of a thing. And again, I'm, I don't really know that the universe works that way, but I believe it. And that uh, we get what we need and that who you are is enough. Yeah. So I'll just leave you with that. So I want to thank you for your kind attention. And also, just to say, <clears throat> as an end, um, how, um, and I don't mean this just as a sort of a feel-good platitude, but it is really uh, to be able to practice with you all. Um, it really is a just tremendous support for my own practice, listening to people in the interview, sharing what you're dealing with. It's just really um, been really great uh, hanging out and practicing with you all. And I'm looking forward to, you know, we're only halfway, so we got a lot more together, yeah. All the ups and downs together. So thank you very much. Let's just sit quietly for maybe half a minute or so and then I'll ring a bell to end. <clears throat>